Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. On today's episode, I speak with Emily Shaw, who creates detox programs and products that blend Indian Ayurvedic principles with Amazonian plant medicines. In our conversation, we talk about her journey from kitchen witch to opening one of the first whole food restaurants in Toronto to her current work leading home detox programs and week-long retreats around the world. If you're an entrepreneur who's struggling with self-doubt, self-promotion, and staying true to who you are, I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. Emily is super empowered and fearless in her entrepreneurship, and I was really inspired by her talk. If you'd like to support this podcast, there are a few ways that you can do that. The easiest way is to leave a five-star review on iTunes. Right now, we've got about 12 reviews that are all five stars, which is great, but I know there are a lot more of you that appreciate this podcast, so please take a few moments and leave a review and share with your friends on social media. It really does help. If you have a few bucks to spare and would like to help offset the cost of producing and hosting this podcast, you can leave a donation at medicinepathpodcast.com by clicking the support link. Or you can become a patron for only $5 a month, which gives you access to hours of yoga practice resources as well as podcast extras. You can find out more at patreon.com forward slash Brian James Teaching. I'd also like to mention that we still have spaces in the 12-day Amazon plant medicine retreat that author Robert Tyndall and I are organizing for men. Emily was nice enough to talk to me about it, so why don't I just play that clip for you? 
I just really wanted to just speak for a second about the work that you're putting out there and that the fact that you're doing this men's only ayahuasca retreat. I think that's so rad, so important. Um, One of the things that I noticed many years ago when I was working with these ayahuasca centers for, you know, months on end and seeing lots and lots and lots of people having these experiences, that there was this actually kind of collective experience that started to be apparent and the conversation around that collective experience that was happening across Peru with this medicine was this yin-yang imbalance, this, this, this ridiculous kind of um, sad imbalance of this male-female energy on the planet as a collective. And so, you know, not to sound you know, cliche, and I really don't like the expression like doing the work or whatever, but <laughs> I just, I just think it's, it's really cool that you're, you're giving men an opportunity to just, you know, step up, just, just be brave and just, just, um, expand in this life, you know, it's short. So I think that's so on and like on point in a million different ways. And I salute you for that. Oh yeah. Thanks a lot for that affirmation. Yeah. Yeah. I I wrestle with that term doing the work as well. (laughs) It's kind of that, but it's also sounds like a cliche. And I just think um, more about doing my own personal work. Like it's not like there's one big work for everyone, but it's about finding out what the work is that we each need to do, like where we need to grow ourselves up, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's what I mean, expand. So maybe the, maybe the thing is like, working with men who want to be bigger than their, they, who want to have a bigger impact, who want to have a bigger like heart, who want to have, you know, just want to have just an all around more clean, more beautiful, more expansive human experience while they're here as men, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and, and taking it out of like, it's going to be really sticky and awful and emotional. <laughs> you know? Maybe mm-hmm. it isn't, maybe it is, but maybe that's going to be cool, you know? Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. everyone will need something different. You know, some people will be looking to uh, to move beyond their fears that have been keeping them, like holding them back from following their dreams. And other people I know are looking for more intimacy in their relationships. And the beautiful thing about that medicine is that it's kind of um, it's like a nonpartisan mirror. You know, like whatever you bring to it, it'll help you see that more clearly. And so that will then help you identify what the work is that you personally need to do to live a more full life. And so that's beautiful. I can't wait for all these different people to come together and and to to discover that and then to Mm -hmm. process it together with the support of other men. I think it's just going to be amazing. Have you done this before or is this a new like sort of model for you to be working with? You know, it's kind of new, but um, when I was down at the Temple of the Way of Light last year, I mm-hmm. uh, I pulled together a, a men's circle mm-hmm. in that context. And mm-hmm. that's what, just seeing what happened in that circle after people had been working with the medicine for a couple of weeks, yeah. uh, how close things were to the surface, how open and vulnerable guys were willing to be, how... Um, uh, supportive guys were willing to be for each other, which is something that is often difficult for us. Yeah. Uh, when someone opens up to be there for them and to hold the space for them, that's not something that men are generally conditioned to do. So seeing that happen, I was like, oh my God, what would happen if we just took this container and and did it for like 12 days? Like it'd be Amazing. so incredibly powerful. 
So I think I wish you the best of luck with that because I think it's really important. I feel really bad in a lot of ways for both men and women right now. It's just not we're not doing that great with this, it seems like. And so yeah. many, yeah. you know, you look at certain things that are going on in the world and you're just thinking, what? For re- what? <laughs> I can't even believe it, you know, that I'm hearing that or seeing this. You can't believe it in my lifetime. And I know that um, there's so much healing to be done on both sides. And I think that if it's addressed in any way, shape or form around men being able to show up better for their women or better for themselves or, or, in any which way, get a better deal here. Like, I think that that's really cool. Well, yeah. And, you know, I've been watching for years now how women are just so much better at coming together and doing healing circles or ritual circles or whatever it is. But just women uh, creating space to come together with each other. And I'm kind of, like, jealous of that. I'm like, where are, like, the really juicy men's circles, you know? Not the ones where you go and guys are uh, hitting pillows with baseball bats or, you know, (laughs) like, just, like, getting out their rage or whatever. But just, like, kind of full-spectrum men's circles, you know? I don't see a lot of it. And I'm, like, kind of jealous of all the wild women out there who are having full moon rituals and all this stuff. Um, So I decided, well... If I'm not seeing it out there, I'm going to have to go way beyond my comfort zone and step up and try to initiate a circle like this. So, yeah, there's there's you know, there's work to be done. I mean, there's healing to be done there and there's a lot of fun to be had there. So, I hope you get both of those. Um, exactly. It, and it, everybody and wins. Like everybody wins when when this this kind of thing starts to happen because this is indicating that there's an imbalance and that, you know, ev- and that everybody wins when both sides are strong. Exactly. And when men are more conscious and loving, the kids benefit, the partners oh benefit. Oh the, Who are they the... supposed to be looking at right now? There's <laughs> not a lot of people for them right now in the world to look at, really. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I guess finding that within a community of, of a group of people. Um, and um, I hope, you know, I hope the medicine supports that. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate yeah. you uh, fitting that into this podcast, helping me promote. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, really wasn't thinking of it that way. I was just like dying to tell you. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. I really appreciate yeah. it. You can find more information about the retreat at medicinepathhealingarts.com forward slash retreats. And I'll include a link in the show notes for that. Okay, that's all for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Emily Shaw on the medicine path. So I'm speaking with Emily Shaw of amaveda.com. Thanks for joining me today, Emily. Hi, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, so I thought we could begin, um, if you would just explain for people who aren't familiar with your work, what do you do? Yeah, sure. Um, So I run detox programs, basically. Um, There's lots of sort of components to what I do, but ultimately that's the way I sort of present it. Um, So I, through uh, a series of events over many years, ended up uh, really feeling like 
I needed to put all of the components of the things that I had been learning and witnessing um, into like a cohesive package of some sort. So I was really looking for a way to build a system um, that would allow me to kind of build um, all of the different ways in which I had wanted to heal the body with. Uh, and so this really led me to the system of Panchakarma, which is the Ayurvedic system of detoxification. And so um, I, studied de- I studied in India and I studied sort of all sorts of different types of healing modalities over the years and put together um, a pretty full-on seven-day uh, at-home detox program. That was the way I started. Um, I thought that it would be a really great way to get more people involved in the process of detoxification um, by making it something that was really accessible to do in your own home. Um, so I create um, the products that work within the program. Um, I have a history of being interested in formulating and, and I'm an aromatherapist and I love um, mixing up stuff. So uh, it was really great for me to put that component and that part of who I am into the work that I do. Uh, so the detox programs that I run are um, part product and part information. So you actually receive a box of goodies uh, in which um, there's different things for you to be drinking. There's different um, powders to be mixing, different colon cleansers, um, different spice blends, uh, different all sorts of different things to use in the dishes that you're making. Um, and then some really lush um, oils and, and whatnot to do the Ayurvedic practices, the body practices, um, and all sorts of good things that come within this kit. And the information is delivered um, in a manual. Uh, and I work with groups. I like to do them in groups. Uh, and so we collect, uh, you know, groups of people that want to do it on set dates. The boxes go out and I run sort of the seven-day home detox uh, I call it Ayurvedic inspired, or sometimes I say Panchakarma inspired, um, because a true Panchakarma detox is actually three to four weeks long and um, much more detailed than than what I can do in seven days. Um, but it it touches upon lots of different ways in which um, we can support our natural detoxification systems, uh, and it really has a focus on self-love and self-nurturing and sort of radical self-care, which is a huge part of how we promote our natural detoxification systems. Um, And then there is an educational component too. So I really like to share the knowledge of Ayurvedic um, living and sort of these yogic practices uh, based on daily routine and uh, different ways in which you can examine the toxicity of your own body uh, and just um, maybe some different components to uh, nutrition that I find really helpful for people. So um, that's the package and that's something that I've been doing for three or four years now. Um, I started in Peru and I had a really nice client base out of Lima, uh, which was a surprise to me. I just started to sort of experiment with that community and it just really snowballed. So I stayed with it for a while. And now I offer that here in the UK where I'm, where I'm living and also offer it internationally. I ship the boxes all over the world um, and have recently well, actually not that recently, taken the exact same protocol, really, this this seven-day program that I developed in 2013 
to retreat format. And so today I've done, I think, eight international retreats where I get to actually really facilitate the, the, the ins and outs of every single day with my clients in real time, hosting the workshops and allowing them to fall deeper into the process of um, a pretty profound detox. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds great. I'm wondering how did, so it sounds like you've always been kind of what my wife would call a kitchen witch, <laughs> experimenting with mixing up stuff and herbalism and all that. But what got you interested specifically in detoxification? Um, oh, I'm definitely a detox witch, or sorry, a kitchen witch. I love that. Um, <laughs> maybe now a <laughs> detox witch. Yeah, I mean, my parents talk about, you know, trying to drag me out of the kitchen, making, you know, cookies and stuff when I was two years old and burning everything, but it's still smelling really good. <laughs> so it's funny that inherent sense of like actually really needing to like cook up stuff, um, metaphorically or not. Hmm. So the the detox thing is, it's kind of a story, but I guess it started in Peru. Um, there's lots of different parts of me that kind of came together. Um, so I probably would have to kind of give you a bit of a background. Um, yeah, well, what were you doing in Peru? So I moved to Peru after I sold my restaurant in Toronto that I ran for 10 years, um, which we've talked about called Universal Grill. Still there, which is a very, very sort of surreal, trippy thing because... Um, you know, that was over 20 years ago now that we opened this little bistro in a part of Toronto that was sort of like a no good part of Toronto. This is so before organics and a million years before, like anybody was talking about farm to table or anything like that. You know, this is pre-internet, mind you. So, mm. um, yeah, it's kind of the Universal Grill is always like kind of a hippie institution when I was in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely taken on a life of its own as businesses do, you know, but, um, God, like the world was very, very different place then, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. but, um, and, and for, for us in those years, it was really about food was about gluttony and artistry, you know, food was about boasting. It was about just, you know, all the chefs in Toronto that were really hot at the time were just show offs, you know, it was all like really, um, about, the palate. It wasn't really, there was no other conversation that was really going on about food. Vegetarian food and healthy food was like drippy, hippie, you know, very un uncool. Lots of um, gluten. Yeah. <laughs> and like super stodgy and these like badly lit, like, you know, you'd go to get a fresh, what was it? Carrot and orange juice. That was like the big extent of it. You know, you'd get some sort of creepy, mushy stuff. Nobody was really interested. Um, the health food stores were like super limited. It was the same sort of 10 brands yeah, with very small ranges. Lots know? of, lots of bulk food bins. All those like weird maggoty bulk food bins <laughs> and stuff. So just, like, wasn't on the radar at all, you know? And I remember when we started talking about organics and people were like, it's, there's no such thing as organic. And, you know, it just, it was a, it was a long ride. It was a long ride ago. Hmm. Um, and then, so actually recently when people are like, you know, what's, what's your story? How did you get into it? I actually have to go back even one chapter before that, because now finally it's all kind of come together full circle. So when I was 
20, I moved to Jamaica. And this was like one of the weirdest, most radical things I've really done in my life. I just knew that I had to go live in the Caribbean, which was is a ridiculous thing because of course everybody wants to go live in the Caribbean. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right? But your parents, do you think, would kind of step in and be like, yeah, that's cute, but actually you're going to go to university. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I just was like, no, I, I'm going to do this. This is like my, this is my calling and this is what I need to do. And I figured that the only way I would be able to support myself would be to become a massage therapist or a scuba diver. And I didn't really like scuba diving. So I became a massage therapist really quickly. I think I did like a three month, you know, sort of course. And I, um, I managed to like kind of tap into this woman who was uh, a British woman teaching aromatherapy, which was again in 1990, like not a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, Ooh, cool thing, you know, smelly, nice things. And that'll give me an edge. So we would just practice mixing oils every single day in her house. And I bought myself a bunch of oils and a massage table and I moved to Jamaica um, and I bought an old beater car <laughs> that you could start with any key <laughs> and you could see the ground underneath your feet because uh, there was actually no floor to it. Um, and I would just zip around the island and give people massages and I would pull out this box of essential oils and say like, this is what these are and these are how they work. Um, and I met a woman, she was sort of like my other mother. I called her and she called me the same thing, <laughs> but um, and, but she really became a mentor to me. She was a master hypnotist. She did psychic development workshops and she got me, she taught me energy really. Um, she taught me how to work with the body on an energetic level, which was a huge relief to me because I really wasn't that well educated in, um, the anatomy and physiology of working with the, like with the skeletal system doing massage. I was really just sort of doing basic stuff. So it was really helpful for me and very in tune with actually like my natural skills. Um, and so life for many, many years there was really good, you know, better than I realized at the time. You look back at these things and go, mm. God damn, that was good times, you know, <laughs> pulling around and going to reggae concerts and living outside and spending days on the beach. And I got a job at a, a really fancy, uh, all-inclusive hotel called Swept Away. And they had this huge sports complex. I think it was like 20 acres or something. And I got hired as a massage therapist there, which was a huge deal. I mean, getting a work permit in Jamaica was not easy at that time. And I happened to be working for this really kind of rad woman. And I was presenting her with all these ideas about wanting to work with natural products in the spa. Um, And again, this was like the spa services at this time. Oh my God. I mean, it was all about these big kind of brands coming in from Miami in bulk. And they were like these blue whips and weird stuff <laughs> that people would pay a lot of money to get like wrapped up in for 10 minutes and then like suffocated. And then they'd be do all these really like crazy treatments that people were doing. And I was like, look, we can do stuff with honey and papaya and coffee. And she just gave me the green light. And mm. so it, it's really funny because I kind of... I was already there, you know, at, at sort of 22, 23. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is so before the time, of course, like this is like, a, you know, 15 years before social media or anything. So in a way you kind of figure like it didn't even happen because <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> nobody cared, nobody really noticed. Um, but I remember, you know, I remember being really 
uh, just really honored to be able to be working with basically with plants and energy all the time. Um, and Jamaica was a country that is hugely run on energy, hugely. Um, you had to learn right away, like how to deal with patients, how to be in the now, how to be walking with a good vibe. You walk with a bad vibe in Jamaica, you're going to stub your toe on a rock like mm. that. You know, it was like instant karma and bad people. They were getting in bike accidents and it was just really, really um, an amazing place to land into working with energy. Hmm. Um, So that is kind of like my first nugget. (laughs) Uh, I can't sort of like every time I start the story with like I moved to Peru, it's like, oh, but really it started back there. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, like the restaurant, you know, happened. That was a big 10 year chunk after that. Um, and that was like, you know, we drank, we, I had a bar, I was 25. We drank all the weekends. We went out, spent all our money on stupid stuff. And at the end of that, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm searching. I need to move somewhere else. And I went to Nicaragua looking for magic. I didn't find it. I went to Spain thinking maybe that was going to be it. Didn't find it. Um, and then I met a Peruvian guy and I was like, Hmm, I could work. (laughs) (laughs) wonder what Peru's like. And finally we got to Peru and really it was like one of those moments again where I was like, this is it. This is it. No matter what, this is, this is just where I want to be. And you, um, la- you landed in Lima? I landed in Lima. This was, this is 2004 because it took me two years to move there. Um, and Lima was really, really different than it is now. Um, you know, we it's amazing how these, our cities are changing so quickly. You know, even I look back at Toronto Mm -hmm. where I haven't lived in 12 years, it's not the same city I grew up in at all. Um, and Lima isn't either, you know, Lima has just gone through this incredible like renaissance of, um, just a wellness and consciousness explosion really in the last 10 years. Um, so it was, it was really good timing. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. And, um, when I, when I kind of arrived in Peru, it was, it was um, there was the Amazon and there was the plant medicine and there was this food, this culinary scene, and there was the, this incredible um, amount of different experiences that you could have, which really suited me. So it's like the city and the mountains and the beaches and the high jungle and the low jungle and the medium jungle. And, you know, it was just like endlessly um, seductive to me. Uh, so I just made it happen and I moved there and it took me two years. I had to sell a lot of stuff and rearrange a lot of stuff. Uh, but I, I did it and I just, thank God I did it. It was probably the most sure I've ever been about anything. Um, and so within the five years of being there, you know, lots of different things kind of led me towards, um, diving into this system of panchakarma and definitely working with the plant medicine, specifically with ayahuasca, uh, was a big part of it. But that that did sort of come kind of later for me. I did lots of work with food. I did culinary tours. I even opened a restaurant in Lima, wow. uh, which is another podcast <laughs> 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 called like Mafia Famous Chefs and <laughs> Nearly Losing Your Life. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I scraped myself out of that situation and, 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 um, you know, the restaurant I did open was, was about organics and it's just like way ahead. It was, nobody was ready for that. It was like, what are you talking about? Why would anybody drink organic wine? Mm. <laughs> it caught. So that didn't work. Um, so I get, so I arrived at a place where I was like, right. I remember walking out of that kitchen and I was like, I will never ever dump dirty fryer oil in a vat 
ever again as long as I live. And I will only touch food as medicine from now on. Hmm. Done. And that concept of food as medicine, that's a big part of Ayurveda. It's a huge part of Ayurveda. It's, it's foundational, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, and I think maybe what I love about Ayurveda most of all is everything is medicine. Everything is mm-hmm. medicine. And that as a concept is so rich, you know. Um, it's so beautiful in the sense, especially in, in this day and age where um, we get really caught up, I think, in like what's the good stuff and what's the bad stuff and should we be eating meat and should we be eating this and is it you know where what are we supposed to be doing that's good right and and like the demonization of things like smoking or alcohol ayurveda sees them as potentially beneficial to some people at certain times completely absolutely and doesn't that doesn't feel doesn't that feel good doesn't that just just give you relief yeah yeah it does (laughs) yeah And, and i think it changes your relationship with these things when you start to think about them as medicine like uh, I can see having a beer once in a while has a really grounding effect for me, which sometimes I need, especially when I'm teaching a lot and I'm in my head and I feel like vata imbalanced. If I just have a beer, it's like I'm totally in my body and I recognize that it has some depressive effects. So it's for me balancing out what I see as the um, kind of negative effects versus the medicinal effects. I completely love that. I really, really support that, you know, and the more I dive into this stuff, I feel like that's the answer right there. It's like, what, what is it that's good about this for me, you know, and what is it that's not good about this for me? And where's the medicine? And when it comes to alcohol, oh my God, I mean, just right off the bat, it's already been well established that people that drink outlive people that don't drink. So <laughs> that, that, that came through in the blue zone studies, right? So we already know that the cultures who actually enjoy alcohol um, live longer. So if you want to talk longevity, you know, that's an interesting conversation. And really it's, it's, it's about connecting, I think, you know, and so when you can use alcohol as like a social lubricant, so to speak, and to find a way to like connect with the heart with people, um, that's medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, I guess, well, listening to your story, I'm really struck by what I see as a, like a profound fearlessness that you must have had even at a young age, um, to be able to follow your heart to all these different places in the world to start up businesses. Um, and I'm just wondering, does that have something to do with the way that you were raised that <laughs> Seems like your parents. No, they get no credit whatsoever. <laughs> no, were they like uh, supportive of you following your dreams? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great question, and and sometimes I have to remind myself because you know it does it does it's a slippery slope into scary town, isn't it? You kind of with every year think you want to grasp on to like more security and more stuff, and I look back and I think you know what I just got to keep adding to my story of fearlessness because. That's where all the good stuff is. So to give them credit, absolutely, you know. I mean, definitely my mom, um, she was a huge trailblazer. She was like the one that decided she didn't want to live in a small town and be in a Jewish community. And she wanted to move to big Canada, the unknown, and find a new identity. And um, she never got an education, but she found many, many ways to be great in this world without an education. And so she was um, hugely motivational for me. Sometimes you know, maybe to a fault, like, you know, how we can always find fault with our parents. But that thing where you're like, you know, it would have been great, mom, if you had sort of, you know, made me go to school or whatever. But, 
<laughs> but thanks also for, you know, like all those afternoons we, you know, hung around and, um, and, you know, broke down the meaning of life and stuff was, it was, it was a good thing. My dad, probably not so much, uh, but he did not much say. So, <laughs> yeah. So your mom was, uh, an important role model for you and yeah. Yeah. So she moved from a small town. Was it in the UK to Canada? Yep. So, so they're from Brighton, you know, which is where I am now, which is the big family joke, but, um, yeah, they were, they were in Brighton and, you know, back in, in, those days, it was a much smaller community. Um, they were definitely in a Jewish community. We weren't really raised Jewish because my mom was just like kind of over it, you know. <laughs> She's like, I don't really see the benefit in this, and um, she wanted to explore other ways of of. Um, she she was really like a trailblazer in terms of consciousness expansion and she did all of the stuff that uh, you know she got my dad into men's groups and she was doing women's circles and she was doing drumming circles and she was doing full moon circles and she was Mm. uh, doing meditation and she was doing all sorts of stuff that nobody was really doing yet well I'm sure they were but it didn't none of my friends parents were doing (laughs) yeah so that's what's happening a lot now with younger people but um back in the 80s and 90s I don't think it was a very big thing at all no, it wasn't a big thing. I remember when we first got bottled water, you know, <laughs> delivered to our house and people were like, why would you not drink from the tap? Well, and yeah. we were, I was like, I don't know. My mom thinks this is better, you know, and we would do these tests and look at the water and it was like, it tastes better. I don't know. Wow. It's so weird. <laughs> it's pretty amazing to think that, you know, in our lifespan, I'm, uh, you know, I'm turning 44 in a couple months. Yeah. But in the past 20 years, how much has changed in the like the wellness and consciousness scene? Um, I think a lot of people coming up now just take it for granted, a lot of these things. But um, when we were growing up, it was quite rare to find people who were turned on to all this stuff. I, it's, it is. It is amazing. I mean, I'm, I turned 47 this year and it's, it's true. It's just, it's incredible to see how much has actually changed and from my perspective, you know, my mom was doing all this stuff. Like we had aromatherapy, we had crystals, we had affirmations on the fridge. My friends would come home from school going, today I feel like a magnificent light being, you know, har, 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 or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, mom, please, you know, enough with the affirmations and and the crystals and the tarot and, and all this stuff. It was like so embarrassing. (laughs) you know oh what's that smell I'm like oh it's lavender oil and oh my god mom please with the smudge sticks you know it was just it was devastating as a kid and now you're like oh my god these like not just like young people on Instagram but like huge like Gwyneth Paltrow like we're doing smudge sticks and crystals and (laughs) lavender oil (laughs) wow like who knew you know it's just come like massively full circle yeah my my wife was showing me uh, some package that was marketed towards young women and it was from like, gosh, like a big American, uh, department store, like Neiman Marcus or something like that. And it was like the home witch kit. And I think (laughs) there's like a little bundle of sage in there and, uh, you know, maybe a stick of Palo Santo (laughs) and it was all like packaged up very cute and everything but just like man how far have we come now you know yeah. well I think that both, you know, right I mean it's really kind of great because thank god that there's something other than you know I don't know 
internet games or whatever. We're not quite like doing weird virtual reality stuff yet. And maybe it's great that these girls are are getting into that and, and learning to do something that's at least like tactile and is working with your senses and you know, and all that. But um, yeah, of course, the flip side is just like, oh, police. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Like when my wife showed it to me, she was showing it to me because um, a lot of, she's an astrologer and herbalist. And I guess a lot of people in that scene were up in arms about it. Like, oh, look at them commercializing this stuff. And and I was like, I actually think it's pretty great that it's, it's, you know, it's a gateway for younger people to show them that, um, that ritual can be alive in your life yeah. and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I think like your upbringing, um, it, it illuminates a big part of the picture, how you're able to find your path so early because you grew up around it and it, it wasn't weird and you didn't have to overcome kind of the familial conditioning, you know, like for me, I was coming up in a blue collar family and there's nothing spiritual going on in our house or anything. And being drawn to yoga and esotericism at a very early age, it was kind of a struggle for me. It was something that I kind of kept locked up inside for a long time. Of course. So it took me longer to really start to follow my my bliss and this inclination toward the weird and esoteric. Um, so I think, you know... Did you have to kind of come out with your parents around sort of like being you know, a spiritual person sort of thing, for lack of a better word? Or like, you know, well, is there yeah, terror around that? They, uh, I think they always recognized it. Uh, you know, I hear stories of, you know, when I was a kid and they definitely knew I was different and into different things. Um, but in terms of making that my life, yeah, that was, that was kind of the struggle for me. You know, I tried to go a more conventional route as a graphic designer, you know, still in the arts or something still there, but, um, mm-hmm. it wasn't totally fulfilling for me. And, uh, you know, it was like my mid thirties when I finally said, you know, enough's enough. I'm not happy doing this. And I want to be true to my, you know, heart's passion and desire. I want to do the things that really give me juice. Yeah. Uh, so it took like a long time for me to, to own that and to start living that. Well, good and, for you. I, I really appreciate how different that must be for, you know, for everyone really to just kind of, you know, whatever, and break into your authentic self and not have anybody hold you back. Yeah. And, you know, I look at people like you um, and I I really admire how you're able to put things together and put yourself out there and make a living doing the thing that you love. Um, I think when people go to your website, they'll see like just how well branded and packaged everything is like, You've really done a nice job there. Thank you so much. I actually really find um, a lot of joy in that part of it. Um, you know, I don't know. Hopefully at some point we'll touch on the idea of like actually trying to be a self-promoter in, within this context of helping people or whatnot. But um, yeah. but I, I did find the one thing I was kind of into is is the branding. I really, I really like it. I love it actually. But then, you know, you've got to like... It, it, you can't hide behind that now, can you? <laughs> you got to kind of come with it. Um, and you can hide behind it, you know, and I'm sort of somewhat struggling with that a little bit right now of how much, you know, authentic blah, blah posting you're supposed to do and whatnot. But um, yeah, well, thank let's, you. I like let, well, let's talk about that because that's something that I, um, I'm always, I won't even say challenged by, but something that I'm always kind of uh, adjusting and, uh, 
playing with, like experimenting with how much I put out personal stuff about myself and how yeah. important it is it for me to share my personal life in order to connect with people so that they want to work with me. And so I'm always yeah. like playing with that right now. And I, I don't think I've got it totally figured out yet. And mm. I don't know if I ever will. Um, mm. But it's it's a whole process that I'm always kind of observing, playing with and, you know, realigning and all that. So what's, what, what are your thoughts about that? Um, well, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm so relieved to, to have this conversation as well. And I think it's important that we do. And I feel like every time I listen to a podcast, no matter if it's like neuroscience or whatever, it always ends up on this conversation because we're all a bit confused right now about actually what we're supposed to be doing here. And it, you know, I mean, I've ultimately been like an entrepreneur my whole life. I've never really had a, a job really, you know, and my whole thing was always like, somebody tell me what to do. I don't think so. You know, and now ironically, I'm like, please, somebody tell me what to do. <laughs> I, like, I can't, you know, I'm just like making this up all the time. And, and so, you know, like we've already kind of touched on, like the landscape is so different. I managed to have a, a pretty successful little restaurant, um, for, you know, a decade without internet, like nothing. It wasn't mm-hmm. like we didn't have a website. There was no, you know, I had to go to the bank. The stuff was all manual, phone call, phone banking, like all that. And so now that you move into this stuff, it's like, well, how did I do that before? And how did we get people in every week? We had lineups on the Sunday brunches and Saturday nights were full and it, it did work, you know? So how did that happen? And was it easier or was it more difficult actually? You know, so it's a bit, this kind of like, technology is, is, um, is it value neutral? You know, is it actually helpful? (laughs) It's a good question. Mm. It it really is. And so I'm, I'm with you completely. Um, I'm in the exact same point as you where I am. I know my product is good, right? So what I do works, I get incredible testimonials. It's not always the same for everybody, but most people that finish working with me come to me and say, wow, like I feel better. I feel different. Or they might even say like, you've changed me or I had an enlightened moment or like things that really, really motivate me to keep doing the work I'm doing. You know, I love that. That's so brilliant. And what an honor, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it comes down to now all of a sudden, it's like, actually what I'm trying to do is like sell retreats and book programs and promote myself. And it's imbalanced. Like the amount of time I get to do the thing I'm doing versus the amount of time I have to make it, make my brand work is not right. It's not, it's an uneven distribution of energy and of time. Um, So I'm with you on that. I mean, I'm falling into really trying to love the process of um, working with Instagram, for example, like just putting out little pieces of like graphic stuff and information sound bites or whatever. Um, but then there's this like underlying kind of niggly guilt that it's not enough. It's not, you're not producing enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, do, you, you get penalized when you don't, well, it's not even penalized. You get rewarded when you are addicted to the machine, right? So if you're posting all the time and you're now you're doing the stories as well, so you're working with like two different mediums, three different types of kind of uh, content. creative. Yeah, mm. like it's not just content. It's like creative content's got to be, you know, visually interesting and, and, and all sorts of different components to it. Engaging, um, divulging, helpful, <laughs> you know. <laughs> exposing yours, you know, giving this whole sort of people want to know you. And I get that all the time. Like, Emily, you just, nobody really sees you. Nobody really knows you. 
if you could just do that more, they would trust you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> I yeah. don't. How many things do I have to do in this life? <laughs> yeah, that's that's something I've heard too. Um, and, and it's something. It's part of the the kind of the struggle for me is that when I work with people one to one, or I'm on I'm leading a retreat or something like that. You know, people always comment on like what happens in that room, the connection that we have and how special that is. And they'll say things like, well, if you could just put that out there more to the world, like put out YouTube videos of you talking the way you talk before a class, Mm -hmm. then people would really connect with you. But the thing for me is I'm doing all of that stuff in response to the human beings in front of me. And Mm -hmm. I'm not planning what I'm going to say in those moments. I go mm-hmm. in open and am like inspired in the moment. And yeah. so sometimes like really like kind of beautiful things come out and it's totally authentic to that moment. And that's really special. And I think that's what people are responding to there. And I know that if I sit down in front of my computer and look at that little glass eye, mm-hmm. I don't get that same inspiration. And yeah. That's the struggle for me is try to, how do I somehow impart the magic of what happens in those little rooms to a wider audience now so that I can find enough people to work with so that I can earn a good living? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I hear you. And so where I've come to, and this has really been uh, like a loud sort of conversation I've been having with myself over the last six months, I would say, um, is okay, like what you've just said is a great point, but I'll play devil's advocate and just Mm -hmm. tell you, you know what, maybe you just need to get out your own way or whatever silly like cliche thing I can say and just get on with it and just like deliver your message and show up, you know, just try, just say something, you know, figure out, figure out how to be, how to show people the magic that is you because it's there and maybe you don't need the other human reaction or maybe you need to have a, camera in front of you and another person or blah 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 whatever coaching stuff i could tell you so the question is like do you yeah yeah you know i started i podcast right (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah right so so, (laughs) this this podcast was part of uh my attempt to do that (laughs) well look you figured it out in some way like so maybe don't do that you know great like that's that's it like every can one can we all just have like one medium you know one thing maybe it's just like we just have one way of communicating so yeah and that's kind of well that's where i'm sitting right now like i think i'm doing enough and i'm really i really enjoy the podcast because it's an opportunity opportunity to speak with people like you and and talk about these things that are real when you're a a practitioner or an entrepreneur and I think those conversations are really valuable for other people to hear and they're like super nourishing for me uh so and it's a way for me to get my voice out there uh, in a way that is based on this connection with another human you know it's spontaneous and inspired and all that so I'm feeling pretty good about the podcast right now. And yeah, just the YouTube, like, I I don't know if I'm just not that person who can hold up their phone, like, you know, Jason Silva and get super amped up and have that energy come through the screen or something, you know? I'm I'm down. I'm I'm with you. I'm going to just do I'm just going to stick with this. You know, I'm going to be like, this is the way that I feel comfortable. And 
if, you know, if it means like not reaching the reach right now, then, oh, well, you know? So yeah, I feel you on that one. You, you know, cause the whole thing is like people asking for authenticity. Well, that's not my authentic way of expressing myself. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering too, uh, how you feel about sharing of information for free on social media um, or on your website for that matter, mm-hmm. because I think it's something that people expect more and more of these days is to get stuff for free. It's sign up for my mailing list and get my mm-hmm. ebook on home detoxing or something. Yeah. And so what are your thoughts about that? Like how much to share? Like, I know we have to share a certain amount just so mm-hmm. people know what we're all about, what our approach is, um, you know, but where's that line for you? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I get it. I do get the mechanism. I really understand it. Um, especially with me, my, um, home program right now is priced at, um, 249 pounds and that's like the whole kit and one week with me, you know, so it's like, actually, if you pay $350 to speak to a coach for an hour to have somebody guide you through a week long detox process, plus everything you need, you know, it's, it's not expensive, but it's also not like intro pricing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like, you know, do you, how do you get them to kind of feel you and get that you like know what you're doing and, you know, what are you going to give them for free so that they, win, you know, win them over kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I've done, I've done stuff. I have like a dosha quiz and an ebook and all, but there's so much of it. You know, there's so much of it. I, I started collecting all those ebooks and I'm just like, Oh God, <laughs> I don't even want to read it, you know? And I think that there's, I think the bigger thing here is just that there's a lot of information and there's a lot of people on this planet and there's a lot of stuff coming at us. And mm-hmm. it's really about being like so super selective for what you want to take in, you know? Yeah. And so kind of just like putting out like, here's my top 10 favorite superfoods. Like, really? Do you care? I mean, I don't know, you know, <laughs> what's so different about the thing that I'm, you know, going to give you for free versus somebody else's stuff for free. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, I'm just going to keep doing my little Instagram post. And I think I read back over there. I'm like, there's some, there's some wisdom nuggets in there, man. You know, you might have to read a whole bunch of stuff. And sometimes I don't post for like a week because I don't feel it, but there's, there's enough stuff. I think there, you know, um, that's kind of where I lie with it, you know, and sort of the flip side of that, of course, is like when you do I started my business in South America and people just take your stuff <laughs> I was like, mm, right. straight mm-hmm. up, straight up. You know, I was, um, I have a line of, uh, Ayurvedic oils that I make as well. And I sell as well. And, uh, I had them out of a, a store, a really beautiful store in Lima. Uh, and I just saw on their Instagram, yeah, I contacted them saying, do you want some more oils? No, 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 we're not doing that anymore. That's a shame. You know, they sold out. Um, saw like on their Instagram, like the exact same thing, but just with their own label on it. It's like, wow, yeah. you know, so rude. <laughs> like, that was my product, you know, and they, you know, was, is it as good? No, but it's theirs, you know, maybe it's, it's a compliment. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned, um, uh, dosha quizzes, and this is mm-hmm. something that is like a little bit of a pet peeve of mine Yeah, is that, uh, you know, so I'm a yoga teacher, and so I run in the in the yoga circles a lot. Yeah. And every uh, every once in a while, fairly frequently, actually, I'll come across someone who 
self-identifies as a pitta, vata, or kapha. Hi, I'm a kapha person. <laughs> yeah, and that's like their whole identification, and that's how they're relating to the world. And they start like diagnosing you. Like I shook someone's hand. I was doing a Thai massage training, shook her hand. She said, oh, you're a pitta person. And but started to go in this whole thing. And it was like, I'm more than just my pitta. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, what do you think? Like, I think anytime, especially in this day and age where it's all about sound bites and the five steps to blank, 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 yeah. there's a tendency to really kind of oversimplify some things, especially something as vast and complex as Ayurveda. Um, so I'm wondering, where do you stand on that? Uh, because you can't have like real one-to-one -one diagnosis with people if you're sending them a kit halfway around the world. So how do you deal with that? How do you generalize your program? Okay. Yeah. Great question. So many things to say on that. I mean, so first of all, the way that I position the program is I call it tridoshic. So it's works for all doshas equally. Every single component of the program is vata, pita, kapha. So that's kind of irrelevant. If you were to come to me and say, I'm working with um, a pita imbalance and I really want to hone in on this area, I'm, I'd be like, absolutely, here's the program. And what we will do is amend in these ways. Um, but for now, I, I don't really do doshic specific programs um, because that's what you would need to do a 21 to 28 day program for. Mm. Um, and I'm working on that, having that offering for maybe next year. Um, but as it is right now, this is like a way to dive in. It's the same for everybody. There's some Ayurvedic sort of gems in there, so to speak, but it's really not about dosha specific. And when I do talk to people about um, the doshas, I find like one of the first things I say and is like all three doshas in everyone. We are all three, everyone, all three. So, and on the quiz that I developed, I tried to give you like the percentage breakdown of each one. So it's not like you're a pita. It's like you're 47% pita, 27% vata, you know, et cetera. So you can like see that you're all three. And the quizzes are of course, are like just a kind of gateway in, um, so, mm. yeah, so the programs, Tridoshic, the, the sort of vernacular around it that I like is like, what's the imbalance? Like it's Prakriti, Vikriti. It's like the way that you actually are and the imbalance that you're actually working with. And, you know, one of the conversations that's really interesting right now is the great Vata imbalance of now, right? Mm. Like pretty much everybody is dealing with the Vata imbalances, you know, we're of the mind. Um, which is, you know, the manic states and the, and the anxiety and the looping thoughts and the multitasking and the insomnia and the um, sort of angst of just being alive right now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so this is the Vata aggravated era. <laughs> hmm. Uh, and so that, so that's like, are you Vata or are you just experiencing what everyone else is experiencing? Right. You know? And uh, um, so what's yeah. the correlation there to the way the world is now? I have my own theories about it, but I want to hear it from you. Like, what do you think <laughs> is causing this vata imbalance? Um, well, one way that it was fr it framed for me many years ago, I wonder if I can like piece this together, which is sort of like, actually, it's almost like our evolutionary story, which is a little disconcerting because we're at the end. <laughs> but, um, you know, so we sort of like started with the, with the kapha, sort of, I don't know, millennia, however, however long that period was where we were 
more grounded, more solid structures, even if you look at the way humans were built, um, the way that we were sort of based around community and family and didn't move much and the sort of steadfast, strong build sort of life of kind of prehistoric humans, so to speak. Um, and then when we moved into sort of like um, agriculture and, and the industrial revolution and all of the things that kind of brought us up to, I don't know, maybe up until sort of like 20, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, I guess, um, before technology, this was sort of the, the pita um, millennia where we were moving into um, using our brains, using our intellect structure, um, working, you know, with the creation of technology is very pizza really isn't it and and the creating of 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 civilization as we know it um and so now moving into the to the vata where it's just kind of it's just it's too much you know and i think largely has to do with the fact that the world is so overpopulated um compared to how we used to be you know um so that's one i think that's sort of i think it really comes down to technology and the way that we've we've lost um all of the other ways in which we actually used to function as humans and, and um, within community and with it, with nature and, and all of the other things that it rounded us out a little bit. Yeah. So maybe um, if we look at it from like another entry point, maybe you could describe what the Vata imbalance uh, looks like, how it manifests in the person. Um. Yeah. So, well, I just kind of gave you a bit of a, a lowdown, so to speak, of um, sort of like the more psychological aspects of, of vata imbalances. Um, Could you go over those again? Yeah. So mostly we sort of talk about vata imbalances of the mind. And because vata is the dosha of movement, um, it really makes sense that uh, multitasking, so moving from one thought to another thought, from one task to another task, is really very much like a vata sort of characteristic of behavior. Um, but then, when you kind of take that into overdrive, you get that the sort of the problems that come with the, the imbalance of vata. Um, and of course, there's a great benefit to being able to multitask. But when you're going into overdrive and your mind is is moving too quickly um, and thoughts are coming too quickly, information is coming too quickly. Um, and so there's all this kind of lack of ability to kind of stay still, um, which is very counter vata, really. Um, and so good to keep vata in balance, we start getting all of these problems that are a result of the the, the excessive movement of the brain. Um, so, yeah, anxiety, of course, which is like movement from the from the past to the present, past to the present. If you think about like I'm being fearful of the, of the future, that's your mind moving ahead of where you are right now. Um, and which leads to, um, insomnia and which can lead to all sorts of different things, right? I mean, when you're anxious, your, um, blood pressure is affected, your blood sugar can be affected, your skin can be affected, your digestion can be affected, everything can be affected when you're not sleeping properly. Um, and so really, really about like honing in on this overstimulation, basically too much movement of thought, too much movement, um, of, sometimes you know you've got like four tabs open you know what i mean you've got like so many things going on and you're like still sort of kind of wait a minute four <laughs> <Yeah>. tabs <laughs> yeah, on your, no, on your I, computer. <laughs> i'm looking right now and i've got like 25 tabs open and was, okay <laughs> while you're talking about uh vata imbalance i was thinking about my tabs. You writing an email <laughs> no i was thinking about my tabs and going i bet the tabs that's a that's a symptom yeah. of uh 
bought click, the imbalance. Click, 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 here, there, here, there, right? Save there, that click. for later. Go to the next thing before you finish the last thing and all yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So Classic it, it, it's, thing, right? it's clear that like the information technology and our access to it, uh, as that's increased, it's led to this Vata imbalance. Yeah, absolutely. And um, this idea of sort of, yeah, moving around. We, I mean, we're global citizens. We move a lot more. We keep sort of, um, you know, our lives are just like so much bigger, basically. And we, we're not really like confined by borders as much as we used to be, right? So we've got the the sure. interweb to move us around. And we're like, right, I think I'll go to Sri Lanka. And I'll think I'll go over here. And I'm going to go meet those guys over there and join that community over here. And we're just like constantly sort of moving our businesses around and moving our ideas and thoughts around. And um, yeah. yeah, well, I think that's an important point because it's not just the physical movement, but there's that mental movement too like being tuned into everything that's happening on the globe I think mm -hmm. adds that extra level of stress on us. Um, yeah. yeah. It's like our mind is living in more than just the place where our body is. And we're thinking about what's happening on the other side of the globe, you know, many different places. So there's a lot going on in our heads. And then on top of that, we're consuming information of all kinds at a really high level. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a really interesting part of the whole kind of conversation around Ayurveda teaching about digestion, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I work that into the programs that I do, because ultimately, when you're detoxing, you, you know, you've got a you're really kind of rebooting your digestive system and you're resting the digestive system. And there's all these different things that we're doing while we're focusing in on our digestion. Um, but, you know, what is it that what is digestion, you know, and how big a role of that is actually going on. And what we were talking about before about how Ayurveda is saying that like everything is medicine. They also teach that everything is digested. So it's not actually just your food that's being digested. It's thoughts, it's information, it's, it's energies, it's people, it's concepts. We're digesting all the time. And so how well we do that, meaning how well we extrapolate the useful and um, kind of eliminate the non-useful or toxic is how good we digest. Um, and so what we can actually do with the noxious or the, or the useless, do we want it hanging around? You know, so how, so maybe that's around, you could look at that in really tuning in and, and, and working your digestive system so that you're getting the bioavailability of the beautiful foods that you're choosing to eat. Um, but you could also look at it like, really being specific around what feeds you're looking at, mm -hmm. you know, like meaning, uh, you know, social media feeds, not <laughs> you know, food feeds, <laughs> but it's all the same, right? Because we're yeah. being fed. So it's, it's this really kind of great way, I think, to kind of break down, like, where's your nourishment actually coming from? And we all know there's people that can be nourished from just like sunlight and, you know, you can be nourished from uh, community and friendship and you can digest your food better when you're in community and in friendship. And so there's just, it's much, much bigger than just diet, I think, when it comes to um, that particular component of Ayurveda, which just mm. reminds me how much I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I think about there's kind of these different aspects. One of them is the idea of uh, what we call in yoga is tapas. So mm -hmm. an austerity, like fasting. Mm -hmm. And my teachers would always say it's not just um, 
you know, decreasing the amount of food that you're taking. And so you're not overloading your biological digestive system, but also the amount of, of speaking that you're doing and the information that you're taking in into the mind. Because mm -hmm. like you said, the mind has to digest this stuff too. And mm. then, and then what is the, looking at what are we taking in? If we choose to take something in, is it, is it nourishing? Yeah. You know, is it going to uh, nourish our whole system? and cutting out stuff that we know is having a adverse effect on our system, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think fasting is maybe one of the most underrated, most powerful, beautiful experiences that anyone could ever embark upon. It's so enlightening and it's so interesting, you know, it's so interesting to go into something so radically different from what you've always done, but yet really is so simple. And um, I've been, you know, guiding people through fasts for, you know, almost five years now, I guess. And it's become kind of a thing actually lately. <laughs> it's really become cool, super cool. There's a lot of um, people like really honing in on intermittent fasting and monk fasting and bio fasting and the biohackers are into it and all the Silicon Valley people are into it. So it's sort of like become super topical, um, which is cool. But I, I do think that it's, um, it's really cool. It's a really great way to bust open a relationship that you feel is so important, but actually really isn't that important, which is mm -hmm. your relationship to feeding yourself three times a day. Mm -hmm. And it's really, you know, I, I, I figured out a way to really help people set up for a fast um, which takes three days. And so by day four is when we start our fasting and it's very, very simple. You know, it's, it's, it's so much easier than people think, which is such a relief for me and for them. Um, but yeah, it really is a, is a beautiful way for people to, um, just, uh, <laughs> to just kind of radically, sort of jump into something that is going to transform the way that you have a relationship with self-nourishment. Because if you're not feeding yourself, you're going to have to figure out something to do, right? So like, where's, where's the joy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right off the bat. Yeah, like where are you where getting comfort gonna, from? Where's the comfort? Where's the joy? Where's the fun? Everything's gone, you know, everything's bad now because I'm not eating. That can't be true. That can't be right. You know, I've got to find something else to do. So maybe I'll just go for a walk. Maybe I'll have a nap. Maybe I'm not even hungry. Maybe I'll actually check in look inside and figure out what is it that I want to do right now? And what, what is all of these like automatic responses around feeding myself really about, you know, I'm because by day two, you're not even hungry really. So you're kind of working on something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not to say that you don't get hungry, but it's so easy to overcome, you know, uh, especially when you think of the things we've endured in our life, you know, it's like, this isn't really that bad. Um, yeah. you just have another cup of like golden milk or something gorgeous or like some beautiful bone broth with, you know, cayenne in it. It's like, you're fine. You just fine. have yeah. some coffee if you need. Like, it's really all good. You know? Well, it's but, like the body will be fine. And what we're yeah. dealing with this at this point is the mind. And we're looking at our, our patterns and yeah. like being kind of forced to have a look at them. Like even the time it takes to prepare food and eat it, that's extra time yeah. that you're going to have to deal with now. And are you okay with more time? <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, you're like, but I don't understand. The whole structure of the day kind of fell apart, you know? Yeah. And All the markers of the day are gone. Yeah, the markers of the day are gone. Uh, what about my family, you know? And, and um, a lot of the women that do have to, like, feed people in their households, 
uh, their children or maybe even their husbands and children as well. And um, they're, they end up like super empowered. You know, they're like, that was amazing. <laughs> like feeding them and cooking for them and fasting. You know, so you kind of, you really, you kind of gain on the victorious path as well. You've once, once you've kind of got a grasp of your own hunger. Um, yeah. You feel, you feel pretty damn chuffed. <laughs> with yeah, yourself. It's, it's super empowering. <laughs> it is. Okay, I want to I want to go back to uh, Peru because one of the reasons yeah. that I, I first tuned into your Instagram is I saw that you were, well, it looked to me that you're blending Amazonian plant medicine and Ayurveda, and I'd never seen that before. But of course, uh, for me as a as a yoga practitioner who also works with plant medicines, you know, I see a lot of correlation there, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I've never seen anyone bring Ayurveda and Amazonian plant medicine together and i wonder like when when did that start for you um so when i sold my restaurant in lima and i ended up kind of with this like vision of just working with plant uh, sorry working with food as medicine but not really knowing yet what i was actually going to do um i started working with ayahuasca centers so i started working in two different places one was in iquitos and one was actually in the cordillera blanca mountain range of peru outside Huaraz. Um, which is a pretty strange place to drink ayahuasca, but also kind of great. <laughs> and these were two friends of mine, two different guys, two different friends of mine. And one of them hired me to help um, with the healing food menus. And another guy uh, who has the, the his center in Iquitos, um, he was actually just building his center and he was about to have his firstborn baby. So he hired me to help him actually like get the center off the ground. Um, and I ended up sort of helping him with doing some sort of cooking and, and food as medicine with the clients that he already had in his house. So, and spending a lot of time in Iquitos. I worked with a couple of different doctors there. I was obsessed. I was just really, really into it. I was already really in love with ayahuasca medicine. Um, I started, you know, my first uh, kind of relationship with that medicine right when I moved to Peru in 2006, pretty much immediately. I was like, oh, this sounds cool. I got to do this right away. Um, and I've always had a very, very good, very strong um, relationship with ayahuasca. You know, um, beautiful, strong ceremonies every single time. Well, except for a couple <laughs> dark nights of the soul. But mostly, you know, really, really, really powerful, really, really so much respect and also kind of just comforted knowing that there's a medicine this powerful out there, you know, that everything will always be okay. And you can always come back to source. You can always come back to this, to pure love, Mm. to pure enlightenment, to pure um, bliss, really. And so I was really enamored with working with, sorry, with (laughs) ayahuasca and really was excited about working with the food that worked with ayahuasca as well. Um, but it's super challenging because there's a lot of kind of rules and regulations around the diet that works with ayahuasca, but nobody will really tell you why, right? So you're well, like, okay. A lot of it's superstition. Right. You're like, well, what? So we're here in 5,000 meters in the in the mountains and I'm, you're telling me I have to have like yucca and, and <laughs> like fish, like there's like, you know, or whatever. Or, well, or like yeah, these. That, I, I mean. Here. Yeah, in that case, if someone's working in the Andes or something with ayahuasca, well, you've taken ayahuasca out of its natural home. So why are you exporting the diet as well? Like, 
there's kind of exactly this- it makes no sense it makes no sense but a lot of these guys were also ex- extrapolating the actual medicine men so these guys were working with maestros from like you know uh, just outside Iquitos or like deep outside Pucallpa and bringing them into completely foreign territory to them so they only have one source of information which is the information that they learned and I was like really aggravated by this you know I was really challenged by this and I kept like kind of not wanting to follow it and I, I'd have to keep listening to him and I'd cut and he would just tell me no you keep putting parsley in there <laughs> I was like well I don't understand you tell me I can use oregano but I can't use parsley that doesn't make any sense to me and he's like well this is what the medicine told me Okay. Well, the medicine told me parsley's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I was always like struggling and fighting with them. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do no salt. You know, no salt to me makes me very unhinged. I need the minerals. I, I feel very, very um, unwell, you know, and I yeah. don't enjoy my food. So I'm like, well, what's the point? Is this, is this supposed to be me like in honoring of the medicine being unhappy because that's fine if I can reframe it that way. Or, you know, where, where's the logic here? I'd rather go in. I feel like I want to go in strong. I don't mm-hmm. feel like I want to go in weak. You know, I always felt that way. I feel the same. And and even like the whole thing about uh, fasting before, I've tried that a couple times and I go in super weak. My blood sugar is really low. And something about ayahuasca has an effect of, uh, seems to lower my blood pressure or something. So, you know, I passed out a few times and that's yeah. no, that's no fun. And I don't know how yeah. much I'm getting out of that experience. So I always make sure that I have a meal a few hours before. Yeah, uh, definitely. It gives me the strength to actually sit through the whole ceremony. And I've yeah. never, I've never had any adverse effects. Like, uh, you know, I'm not a big puker or anything like that. Um, and I certainly received lots of insights that have been really helpful in my life. So I don't know if I'm missing out on something, but that's kind of what I need to, to um, enter into that relationship with the medicine is like, I need to be grounded. I need to have some strength and vitality. Um, Cause I tried it the other way and it just doesn't work for me. So. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people unlike us that would be terrified to do anything other than like what the shaman says, because it just feels like such a dishonor or, you know, you feel, you feel so disrespectful and quite frankly, like terrified what might happen to you if you don't follow rules. But just out of, I guess, a very similar experience to you, just being like, "Mm -mm, this is just no, there's just no way I can go into this um, without eating. And I'm also like really sure about what I want to re-nourish my body with afterwards, you know? Hmm. And I did a lot of traveling around Peru. Um, I've been to centers where in the morning they served me white bread with margarine. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, like I don't, (laughs) I just do not want that even on a bad day, like let alone today. I've never been happier. (laughs) I feel like, you know, I want to kiss the ground, kiss the sky. You're going to be margarine? No. So there's your very few people that were really able to kind of just like break that down, you know? And Mm -hmm. so that was kind of like one of my motivators was like, there's no structure to this. This doesn't seem as like bona fide as I wanted it to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So kind of like, I'll follow the rules, but I was just, I was like a rule breaker always with ayahuasca. I was like, this doesn't make sense to me, you know? And I would like sneak my little... (laughs) 
bottle of wine up into the Andes and they're like, we can see you drinking in ceremony. We can see what you're doing. <laughs> I was like, but this is a medicinal shot and it's just keeping me warm. It's freezing here, you know? And I would, I would say I was just having like an ounce or two ounces of wine to just, like you said, to just kind of like allow me to kind of breathe and just like heat my body up from inside, you know? <laughs> they were always mm. like, I was always, they were always running around telling me not to do it. You put parsley here, you did And <laughs> so... And I really just wanted to make people feel good. And I didn't see people looking that great, right? So here you have these centers, like three three ayahuasca um, ceremonies in seven days or four in 10 days or whatever. That's pretty full on, right? You're like, boom, boom, couple days rest, boom, back in there again. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, um, you know, these guys were like coming in from New York or coming in from like Germany to Peru so far. And you're like, whoa, all of a sudden you're here, like either in the deep, you know, Amazon or you're like up in the mountains, you've had zero like assimilation days. Like you're pretty much in on, you know, your first ceremony within 24 hours and you're on this like really extreme diet. And I remember at the end of the week, I mean, of course, these people were having incredible, beautiful breakthroughs, but also kind of not looking that great. And, and especially in the mountains, like just looking really weak and kind of depleted. And their, their, their physical uh, presence, the kind of like prana coming off them just didn't match the sort of emotional and psychological breakthroughs that they were talking about. Mm. Um, And I'm like, wow, can't you, don't you want to rebuild like stronger? You know, don't you want to kind of come back out of this stronger? And maybe it's about the preparation. Maybe it's about, um, you know, the assimilation. And I think I mentioned to you before, they used to talk all the time about there's no assimilation and you end up going back home and you don't know what to do with the information and you don't know what to do with these insights and should I follow them and should I quit my teaching job and become an artist? And like, you know, you don't, it's, it's, it's hard to know, you know, what to do with all of it. Um, and basically, like I was saying, it's hard, you know, you, it, there's a lot to digest with ayahuasca, right? Mm-hmm. On, on all of the bodies, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? We're like, whoa, I got, I got to really in, in digest this and I need my digestion to be strong. And I need my physical body to be strong because ayahuasca is really hard on the body. And, and, and for some reason, that's just never really acknowledged. It's hard on the liver. It's hard on the kidneys. Um, it's hard on the physical body. It's, you know, you need electrolytes. Like there's certain things that just like are not, nobody seems to kind of go in there and be like, well, what kind of what kind of rebuilding, what kind of mineralization do you need today to be able to actually really ground in and, and embody all of these beautiful messages in this communion you had with this plant last night? Or do you need to just be lying here weak, you know? Yeah. That's something I really had to tune into when I was down there for a two-month stretch and drinking regularly through that. Uh, it was much different than before when, you know, I'd go to a ceremony and maybe there'd be a, a month or two in between. But when uh, it was more regular and I was in the jungle and the diet was quite restricted, I really had to tune into what I needed to rebuild myself. And like salt was a big one for me. And it was one of the things I actually had access to. There was probably other things um, that I didn't have access to, but I found like salt really helped to revitalize me. And it helped, uh, I think, made me feel more grounded actually in some way. Absolutely. I mean, and I guess I I do kind of understand their mechanism for removing the salt to unground so that you are more capable of kind of expanding up into the cosmos and that you're not rooted down Mm -hmm. and that you're able to travel and and void, you know, harder and faster and, 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 you know, you're just unhinged in that way. But when you come back out, 
you know, I remember really like always craving um, citrus. And one mm. of the places that I went mm-hmm. to, he would um, offer us, this is called Refugio Altiplano, really beautiful property. And he would always serve um, camu camu juice after, which was like really um, high vitamin C, really sour fruit from the Amazon. And of course they dump like tons of sugar in it. So it's kind of like drinking sweet lemonade basically. Mm. Oh, wow. That feels so good. You know, mm-hmm. just like, this is exactly what I need. Sour and sweet, just boom. Like, you know, that kind of um, raw kind of electrolytes back into the body. Yeah. And, sitting around after ceremony, eating tangerines, is like my, it's exactly oh, what I need. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really good. It's really good to be able to figure out what you need. And it's a little bit tricky when you're working with people who are telling you what you should and shouldn't have, or what you can't have when instinctively you're feeling like, actually, I really need this, or I want to know what this would do. Yeah, or, te- or telling you not to eat at all after the ceremony and continue the fast. Um, you, there's all kinds of things that you hear from people. And yeah. I think um, like we just have to tune in and there's like some discernment going on. You know, like like you said, what are the things that make sense? Like where do I want to honor what the, what the practitioner is asking of me? And what do I actually really need? And it, beforehand, if you do something like a fast, you'll have that deeper relationship with your food habits and you'll yeah. be more in tune with what you actually do need and the things that you can totally let go for, you know, three or four days. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to that and there's a lot of power to that, you know, yeah. but to, to answer your question originally, which was what drove me to bring Ayurveda into the story was because I just was starting to feel like it was the whole thing was like the wild west. It has just rogue, you know, every, it was like consciousness gone rogue. (laughs) Everyone was kind of, you know, it's really, really unregulated in Peru. You can buy a piece of land and stick a sign on it that says ayahuasca healing center and open for business literally Mm -hmm. within a day. And people were doing that, um, which is both great and not great, you know? So it's, it's just extremely, unregulated. There's not a lot of logic behind a lot of it. It just is the way it is. Like you were saying, this is customary. This is how we've always done it. And I was working with really interesting plants. I was, you know, this Peru is like the epicenter of the superfood anyway, right? So there's incredible things to work with there. Um, In terms of just the amount of different things that you can put into your body, the amount of different ingredients you can source. I mean, there's thousands of potatoes. And every time I go to the market, I'm like, what is this now? You know, a different version of, I've seen more different kinds of radishes than I've ever even could contemplate existed, different kinds of berries and so many different incredible types of food um, and powerful foods, you know? So after doing that for a few years and just kind of digging into like, oh man, there's like incredible, incredibly powerful food medicine here. And then there's incredible sort of, you know, um, ethnogenic medicine is here and there's incredible shamanism here, but there's, there's no structure to any of it. And I was like, I just need a system. I just need something to like give me some structure so I could try to like put this into a web of some sort, a container. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what made me want to go and study Ayurveda because I realized this is going to give me something, some structure. 
Uh, and I really was interested in the, the detoxification system specifically because I thought it would help people to prepare for ayahuasca medicine, thinking, look, if this was a, a way that you could actually prepare, then maybe you wouldn't need to go through the hard purges. Maybe you wouldn't need to um, unhinge so badly. Maybe you you know, could come to the medicine a little bit cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, you know, Ayurveda in a way is like the polar opposite of what goes on in the Amazon. It's so structured. It's so detailed. You can go, you know, years and years and years and years. I mean, some of their formulas are 100 plants in one formula. And there are formulas called 101 Thailands that cook for 100 days. You know, like, mm. this is dedicated. This is like very, very serious, um, almost too serious for me in a sense. You know, when we were doing practicals and you're learning um, to do specific treatments on the body and you're doing kind of like, uh, let's say, abayanga massage, you're running your hands up the leg, down the leg, up the leg, down the leg, you know, 10 times on the outside, 10 times on the inside. And if you just felt that instinct to kind of go deeper up into the hip, no, you know, you get like slapped on the back. <laughs> it was like, oh God, I lost the count. You know, it's like, it has to be perfect. There's no room for like just anything other than like the, this very specific structure. So I got, I got it good. <laughs> mm. Well, I think, um, you know, that reminds me of learning Vedic chanting and um, it, it's very rigorous when yeah. you learn it in the traditional way. And I can understand that because for the longest time it was preserved through the oral teaching. Right. And if somebody along the way became an innovator and was like, well, you know, I don't think it matters so much if we go up here, I want to go down on this note, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Or I want to hold this syllable a little longer just because it sounds more musical or something. Well, then the, the teaching is going to get corrupted along the way. It's like a, a centuries long game of broken telephone. Right. Yeah. So I think that's why like the rigor is there originally, uh, and I think like at the beginning, you have to learn it that way and and honor that before you think about simplifying or or innovating or uh, working more intuitively, maybe like in terms of massage. Like, I think this person would really benefit if I did this, you know, 21 times or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, both are both are true. You know, I mean, I think it's all it's all relevant. It's all real. It's all absolutely right. You know. Um, it's just sort of a matter of, of, I suppose, I think it's important that we probe a little bit because mm-hmm. sometimes you, people get really stuck into the, like, this is absolute. Um, yeah, it, like, become, say, it becomes yeah. dogmatic. And, exactly. and it's, it's a similar thing that happens around the Amazonian plant medicines. Yeah. Where it's like, you can't eat this and this and this and this, or you can't, yeah. have, can't have sex and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's good to like follow those rules and get some experience um, with a little more rigor. Okay, I follow the rules. I've had that experience. Now let me try adding, like for me, let me try adding salt and just see how that changes things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and if I would, you know, if I had a bad experience or something, okay, okay, I understand now why they say no salt. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I think it's yeah, good no, to, like, back to the like the guy who shakes your hand and you're like, oh, you're so pita, you know. I mean, <laughs> there's something to that too. You know, you can kind of always tap into that part of yourself in, once you actually kind of get a grip of your true constitution um, and all of the ways in which the doshas are playing out in you all the time. You know, you just sort of figure like, okay, I'm actually really wanting to um, nurture my my 
vata <laughs> sort of extremes right now and go into it facing this way or you can start to sort of you do start to sort of see the way that people are responding in terms of their doshas or at least in terms of their prakriti their constitution or their imbalances even um and i think that's kind of one of the gifts of bringing ayurveda into the plant medicine which is you know fundamentally it teaches that we're unique so when you go into something and it's like across the board this is how you behave you're already kind of thinking "Mm, this could be a little i could come at it from this way you know maybe i'm not the person to drink three times in one week maybe that's just too much for my little self you Mm -hmm. know yeah maybe i'm going to be brave enough and bold enough to say actually i'm good thanks for tonight. I'm still so completely full from what happened two days ago. I haven't even barely touched the surface of all the stuff that came down, you know, from, or, 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 you know, that I've, that I've received and I don't want to keep, you know, and so you just being able to actually say, I know who I am and I'm okay to not do it the same way you're doing it is, is one of the gifts I think that Ayurveda brings to really everything and Mm. specifically this. Have you thought about how, like how to view, ayahuasca from an ayurvedic perspective like does it um does it have uh certain qualities that you would relate to the doshas uh like is it more of a vata medicine or or you know i don't know how you might frame that but have you thought about it from an ayurvedic perspective I don't think I could put ayahuasca in any kind of anything ever. Like it's just so in its, for me, it's just so in its own category. You know, I've, I've traveled in so many different areas with that medicine. Um, and it can teach in so, on so many different levels. And, and I have to just say as much as it's fun to play with, um, diet and preparation and really like honoring the medicine and doing the work beforehand and doing the work afterwards and coming at it with an individual sort of, um, self knowing and all that. Don't you kind of just feel like sometimes that medicine just trumps all of that and just laughs you. (laughs) I mean, for me, it's, it just has its own special, special place. And I don't really try too much to understand it in, in any kind of context. I right, just like let it have to cate- be contextless. Yeah, like not try to categorize it. It's mm-hmm. just something that has come up in conversations over the years. Like some people think um, or say, yeah, ayahuasca, it... Uh, it's very vata, you know, I, I get really in my head and I get really... Well, it's super heady. I mean, I think I think part of the reason why I do like... But what I was going to say, actually, is that yeah. then I'll talk to someone else who says, oh, no, I get like that really drunken body feeling and I feel like super grounded and tired, like more of like a kappa effect or something yeah. like that, you know? So, yeah. and like for me, uh, it seems to stimulate my pitta and vata. So mm. I, I think... Yeah, what what I was trying to get to is just wondering if... Ah, so like if, if it's if sort you, of, you're saying like, is, does it talk to you in that language? So like guess, in the language that you're already sort of working with in your doshas, is that what you mean? Well, no, I was just wondering if there, if you had a view of it from that Ayurvedic perspective, if you're able to categorize it and just anecdotally, what mm-hmm. I've what I found is that it affects people in so many different ways that like personally, I would just say, well... I think it just affects people on a 
totally personal level, like whatever's going on with you. I don't think it's a particularly vata, kapha, or pitta kind of medicine. No, um, no, I don't either. I don't, I don't either. I've never really even felt like that was something to to explore. But I, I will say that um, a couple of the guys that were that I was with at the the lodge for for a while, they were kind of doing it quite hardcore, I'll say. Like they were doing a lot of DMT and they were doing a lot of ayahuasca and they were doing heavy doses and they were doing it kind of pita style, right? Like mm. kind of like, oh, how's your, yeah, how's the ego busting medicine going, guys? Like right. <laughs> drink up. Yeah. So they were doing that <laughs> stuff. But um, one of the things that they were playing with, which I thought was interesting, was checking out the difference between working with Icaros versus Mantra and how that would affect the medicine differently. And it just seemed like, ooh, Mantra with ayahuasca? Hmm. So, and I have to say that a lot of the people that were experiencing it during these months that I was there were getting a lot of benefit, more than I had expected from working with mantras with the medicine, which is pretty like untraditional right i mean it's not how it's normally been done um but they're so powerful the mantras um and they're so uh conducive to to working with the ayahuasca medicine so that's not really like ayurvedic knowledge but it does definitely like come from that lineage doesn't it so it's it's did not those 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 sounds those primordial healing sounds did not come from that area whatsoever um, but they work really well together. Have I you experienced that? Uh, no. I, and I wonder if it's because the people who are working with mantras have uh, more of an affinity to the mantras and they're not able to connect as deeply to the ikaros because of yeah. the la- language and cultural unfamiliarity. Yeah. And so I wonder if that connection and familiarity and uh, att- like attraction to is more the effector than the mantra itself. Well, that makes a lot of sense being that there's so much of it really comes down to that type of sort of, um, like if you, if you take mushrooms and listen to the Beatles, it is going to be one of the most beautiful experiences of Mm -hmm. your life. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're a Beatles fan, yeah. Uh, you know, so, um, okay. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. We got to wrap this up and mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that I, uh, you know, we talked earlier about the whole kind of ebook thing and yeah. con- condensing uh, <laughs> a whole millennia of knowledge into five easy pieces or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to actually ask that of you to oh. a certain degree. What I wanted to ask you is, um, is there something that, that people can start doing like right now on a daily basis to help with just uh, kind of a maintenance level detox in their life. To hear the rest of my conversation with Emily Shaw, head over to patreon.com forward slash Brian James teaching and become a patron for only $5 a month. You gain access to hours of yoga practice resources, as well as these podcast extras. Okay, thanks so much for listening. Until next time we meet on The Medicine Path. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll & Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BollAndBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.